We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jay. Hello, Sophie and everyone listening. How are you? I'm nervous because <laughs> we're, we're talking about me this week, which always makes me nervous. I think it's when it's yourself, you think, who the bloody yeah. hell cares? Oh, but people do. <laughs> we had that many questions coming in about Pearl and the six-month mark and absolutely, so they should. I love this chat and I, I just want to say, like, I felt like you really articulated everything that we have gone through and listened to with prior episodes. I feel like you've really taken that information on with your third child and you've incorporated into the answers. And it was just a really nice way of understanding where you're at with a six month old. I think that people will get a lot of tips out of what oh, you've I said. Hope so. No, I because I, I turned to Jade at the end of recording and I said, was any of that even useful or helpful? You never do when you speak though. Everyone's yeah. like, oh God how did I go? And no, even listening, I was like, wow, that was really good, Soph. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Dal. So we hope you guys really enjoy it. I've got a dad hack that I just saw. Oh, go. So the dad hack is someone had a T-shirt with a car racing map on his back and he laid on the couch and all his kids were having cars all over his back. So he was actually parenting while sleeping and getting a massage on his back with all these little cars. It was genius. Similarly, I have a mum hack that I did. Do tell. And it's to create a day spa at oh. home. Now, when I picked up my daughters from daycare yesterday, their best friend was saying, we're going home to have a day spa. And I said, okay, <laughs> tell me what this involves. And she said, we lie down in a special day spa bed and mummy gives us a massage. And I thought, oh God, that sounds like, why not? I don't want to be massaging <laughs> yeah. them. Anyway, went home and did it. Put, I did it in front of the TV and I put up on YouTube just day spa YouTube. Not and Polynesian. It, well, you uh, could use Polynesian spa, but I listened to that way yeah. too much that I need. I needed a different yeah. spa soundtrack. Anyway, had it playing in the background. There's some rocks and a trickle and some flowers on the screen. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, they lay down in their dressing gowns, put a cu- cucumbers Cutest on their dressing eyes gowns. and massage their feet and they were still and they were silent, and I don't even care if I have to be dishing out foot rubs. <laughs> I got to just sit there with one of their feet each in my hands, <laughs> silence. I could hear Pearl so screaming downstairs and Nick was having to deal with her. I just thought I just sat there cross-legged listening to this spa music. They thought they were so grown up. Aww. It was a win-win for everyone. It was so calming. And then 
Yeah. Can they return the favour tonight? Oh, it'll be an absolute hodgepodge, but I'll try yeah, it. Give it a go. Anyway, this is our rude or fabulous for the week. It was sent in by a beautiful listener. Love your potty. Thank you. I have a rude or fabulous. Our two-year-old son is obsessed with diggers. The other day he asked my husband for a digger song on the speaker and the only one my husband could come up with on the spot was Kanye West's Gold Digger. <laughs> so now whenever he asks for the digger song, we have to play Gold Digger. I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke diggers are the new <laughs> lyrics that we sing. Rude or oh, fabulous. That is fabulous. That is absolutely fabulous. All right. Well, we've already spoken about what this episode's all about, so we're going to get straight into it and we hope you enjoy. And if you have enough of hearing from me, just turn it off. I don't want to hear about it. Okay. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> If it makes you feel better, it's more focused on Pearl, but you just are answering all the questions about Pearl. Okay. So this one is all about six months of having little pearly girl. A lot of people wrote in heaps of questions from, you know, feeding, eating, sleep. What's it like with transitions? How are you going with self-care? How's your relationship? Look, we're going to get straight into it. Yeah. Um, I hope you're ready because it's too late now. You're here. <laughs> I just can't believe we're here. Yeah. I know it's so cliche, but six months feels big and she already feels very much out of that baby, baby stage. I mean, obviously we'll get into sleep, but she was such a contact napper. And now when you kind of lay her on you, she doesn't just do that thing where she just rests her head and drifts off to sleep. It's like pressing up against you, moving her head around, busy, busy, busy. And I just can't believe we're already in that busy phase. And as I've said before, she's my last bar. I just can't believe we're here. And in some ways I feel like we're breathing again. And then in some ways I feel like I'm sad because that real newborn baby stage is well and truly over. Well, I'm interested to chat with you on this because I feel like... That's good because you have no choice here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I am saying all the questions. But I feel like, you know, you have obviously gone through another transition. The last time we spoke about it was from zero to three months and it is completely different. Obviously, having three kids, I understand. And it's nice to know from, I guess, your point of view, what it's been like for you and your family. So the first question that I'm going to ask is, does Pearl have any teeth yet? or any signs of teething. It's not what I thought the first question was going to be. I thought it was going to be something about how's three kids. No, teeth. Let's start with teeth. She does not have teeth yet. And I want to be careful when I say this because it's not throwing shade on parents, but I just laugh how much we blame on teeth. And I know teething can be an absolute bitch, but I always just find it so funny whenever we're like, oh, She's getting teeth. Oh, he's teething. Anyway, she has been rubbing her gums so rough and hard for honestly weeks, if not months. There is not even the slightest <laughs> whiteness of her gum. There is no tooth about to break through. So I don't know if she's teething versus what is just developmentally normal, I guess, for them to do at this age, which is to put everything in their mouth, to, you know, practice that coordination so that they can eat, to drool. She, you know, she hasn't done the whole like really bright pink cheeks thing or anything like that, but sure, she's teething. Has she got teeth? No. Are they anywhere near? Probably not. What makes you feel better? What answer is better, that she might be teething or that it's developmental? I think developmental is better. Yeah. And then I'd rather it be, oh, 
she popped a tooth overnight, yeah. you know? No, because yeah. I feel like if I think it's developmental, it's like, oh, she's practising her skills of putting things in her mouth, you know, that hand-eye coordination, which will help her be able to hopefully at some point feed herself, yeah, yeah, which yeah. takes one thing <laughs> off my to-do list, you know? Let's go with developmental. Okay, cool. So I didn't put this in any order. Clearly. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I put some in. I put some food ones in and I just didn't get around to starting at the start. But let's just go with how are you finding the age gap between the girls now and can you share some pros and cons? Sure. So I feel like age gap is always a big one and I think as parents we put way too much pressure on ourselves around what is the best age gap. There's pros and cons to every age gap. It's not always and most of the time not going to be within your power or control what the age gap is. So I think we kind of need to take the pressure off the whole age gap chat. But in my experience, so my first two are 23 months apart, so a month less than two years, and then my second to third are three years apart. The pros of the two-year age gap is that we were in the thick of it. Poppy was still in a nappy when Goldie was born. Poppy was still napping when Goldie was born and very quickly their needs became so similar. Like before having Pearl, who's our third, I could head out of the house with one, I think also because they're they're both girls and they do have similar interests and like watching the same shows and wear somewhat similar clothes. I could literally head out of the house with a spare pair of undies Mm. and we were kind of ready to go. You know, they like the same snacks, all of that kind of thing. Their needs were so, so similar. So I think that's the pro of having them you know, two under two. The cons were, it was chaos. And I think now that I've had a three-year age gap, I realise what kind of chaos it was. It went from everything being under control to absolute shit show in the blink of an eye because I look back now and I don't think I gave myself credit for it at the time, but I had two babies. Mm. At the time I was thinking, oh, no, no, Poppy can speak. She can tell me what she wants. Like she had some words here or there, but she was a freaking baby. Like I look back now and I think you had two babies. So that's those two. This time I would say the pros are I I don't know how much I can remove from the fact that my older two have each other. So I don't know how much of this is because there's two already or the age gap, but I do feel like when Pearl was first born, there was that less of feeling like one of your kids was missing out on something Mm. because if I was busy, they could just go off and play together or fight. But, you know, they had (laughs) someone there to entertain them and and touch them, you know. So, But I do think the three-year age gap was, you know, Goldie could understand more that there was a baby coming. She could have more of that, I guess, like cluckiness and love for the baby because she was that bit older. And I feel like I could explain to her when I need to do things or when I'm busy with something or she kind of understands, hold on a minute, I have to do this. She can somewhat go a little bit more unsupervised as well. Like I feel safe putting Pearl down for a nap, knowing the other two are in the house without me. Yeah. You know, for for a little bit. Yeah. Like, like I'm not going down the street. But I feel like when I had Poppy and I was putting Goldie down for a nap, I would be like, what is she climbing? What's she getting up to? I didn't feel as safe. The major con I would say is I didn't realise how much freedom we had got back by having a five and a three-year-old. I think when you're in it, you don't realise, but now that we've gone back to the baby stage, I'm like, I was very comfortable for them to have a babysitter. They're both in childcare four days a week. As I said, they can be 
a little bit unsupervised in the house or you can go out for dinner somewhere and they can just play on the playground. You know when you go to bed at night that you're somewhat going to have an uninterrupted sleep unless someone, you know, has to go to the toilet mm. or whatever. It's just that very different stage back into nappies. So I would say that they're their pros and cons. Yeah. I There's a like a reel going around where this guy says, you know, when you have two kids, you don't want to hang out with someone that has one kid because they're really like quite, you know, overwhelmed by everything. Then he doesn't want to have hang out with people that have two kids because it's, it's a bit too chaotic. But when you hang out with parents of three or more kids, they really just like don't care. They're so zened out. They're like, you could have a grandfather clock hit the floor and they'd be like, yeah, that's all good. <laughs> no worries. I'll clean that up later. <laughs> yeah, they keep on sipping their wine. But there is so much truth to that because I feel like when you were saying it before, you just get into this, like, I, I don't know if you're here yet, but I feel like you do when it comes to three that your mind can't like control it all. So mm. you do have to go, I'm going to let a lot of things mm. go for the sake of my sanity. Mm. And I don't know, it just, it does make it easier in a sense because you're just not focusing on everything, yeah. but you also can't focus yeah, on no, everything. It's impossible. No. Okay. So moving on to food and solids, obviously Pearl started solids quite early. If people have been following you on Instagram, someone actually said, where do I even start with solids? Yeah. So with the starting quite early thing, she started just after four months. And beforehand, I was very much a parent that thought, no child needs to start solids before six months. Like it's just ridiculous. It's just giving yourself another job. Going into having Pearl, if you had have said to me, your third child <laughs> is going to start solids at four months, I would have said, why the hell would you do that to yourself? I don't know if it was parental instinct or what. I just knew she was ready. And from the minute she has started solids, she has loved it. It has made her happier. It has made her cruisier. It's just she was so ready, but there are some babies who are just not ready. And she was at four months, she was like how my other kids were at six months. So that is why. And she was able to tolerate going from like no solids to three meals a day relatively quickly because she was just ready. And so I don't want anyone to go, oh, she started at four months. I'm going to start my child on three meals a day at yeah. four months, she was just ready and raring to go. And what were the signs that she was ready? So she was able to sit up in a high chair. She was putting everything, you know, as I said before, with the signs of teething, like she was putting everything into her mouth. She was watching us. She was, she just, I don't know how to explain her. She's so, she's so funny. She, and I know everyone thinks their child is like so advanced and so clever. She's just ready to be here. Yeah. And there's no other way. Like I would never have given my other kids when they were first starting solids, like a strip of steak, but I just knew she was ready. I, there's honestly no other way that I can explain it. I just knew she was ready and that's what she wanted. I wonder if it's a third child thing because Yumi started at four months as well yeah. and I feel like they're like chasing and trying to like do what everyone else yeah, is doing. Yeah I mean I do think that she's watching what everyone is doing and wants to do what everyone is doing way more than my other two. She was also born at 41 weeks gestation and at four kilos so she just. So she was pretty much 18 when yeah, she was Yeah it's born. like she just started ready and raring to go that's honestly the only way I can explain it but when we started solids we started off the whole time we've done a mixture of purees and baby led weaning 
cooking. We've tried to keep it really simple with just foods we would have in the house or be preparing ourselves anyway. Starting off with simple things like sweet potato, avocado, lamb chop, a little like strip of steak. And then, yeah, those harder things to hold on to or to eat with pureed like zucchini, broccoli. We've just basically tried to approach it in the least stressful way as possible. And we have loved the Le Puree frozen purees as well. They're all organic ingredients. I just know they're in the freezer, ready to go. I know they have a mix of different things in it. You can get some with meat and that kind of thing, just so that I know that she's getting a good amount of iron. Mm. And yeah, we've basically just approached it in a way like what fits our family, what ingredients we are buying already, because obviously when they're starting solids, they waste so much food. So if you're buying stuff literally just for them, you're just going to be wasting so much. So if we're prepping sweet potato for our our dinner, we just make some for her and that kind of thing. Uh, what's her favourite food though at the moment? What is she loving? Lamb chop. She just loves a lamb chop. Does gnawing with the bone, does she hold it? She holds the bone, she gnaws it. I just, I like it too because it's not particularly messy, like other than just getting meaty juices on her face. It's not that messy. Yeah. She can hold it herself. She started off because people are like, how is she eating that if she doesn't have teeth? She started off by just kind of sucking the juices out of it. And by the time she was done, it just kind of had that gray meat color that's like got no like <laughs> goodness left yeah. in it. But now she is at the point where she's starting like her jaw, she's starting to get chewing down pat. And so she can get little bits off it. And I just watch her closely and touch wood. That's all felt really safe and fine. And since starting solids, has she started to drop any milk feeds yet? I don't think so. No, she's a hungry girl. Yeah. No, she's hungry. We try and do it. So I still prioritize milk. I guess that's something to be important, especially if you're starting your child early on solids is up until 12 months, milk is obviously meant to be their main source of nutrition. So I feed her whenever she wakes up from a nap and I make sure I breastfeed her first. And then generally I'll wait an hour or so, and then I'll offer her food. The only time that that changes is sometimes after her afternoon nap, I'll offer food first as kind of her dinner. And then I'll give her a really good breastfeed before she goes to sleep. But no, milk is still definitely the priority. And yeah, she's still feeding lots overnight. So (laughs) she's still getting that milk. So that answers the next question. (laughs) How is your milk supply, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's fine. We obviously had that mixed feeding episode the other week and we have been mixed feeding since Pearl has been about three months old. And basically that looks like for us somewhere between two bottles a week to every second day she would get a bottle and it's mainly when I'm working or if I have an appointment or somewhere I need to be. We've just done that so that I don't have the extra pressure of constantly having to be like how much milk is in my freezer. Oh gosh, I've got a pump. Oh my gosh, what if Nick spills it? It also means that Nick is way more comfortable taking Pearl out and about just with him because he knows all I've got to do is take a little bit of formula with me, take the water with me and I'm good to go rather than carting around my semi-thawed out (laughs) breast milk and having to, you know, defrost it and, oh, I defrosted it and then she didn't need it. So what a waste. So that has been really good in my freedom and in Nick's bonding with Pearl because it means that when he's looking after her, he's not chained to the house. He can just go and do fun shit with her because it's just so easy. And yeah, but I feel like since that mixed feeding episode, I've definitely been a bit more conscious about when we do the bottle, just thinking, okay, well, she's probably had 
you know, if I'm away for a whole day recording, I'll make sure the next day I really offer the boob to her, really make sure she's getting it whenever she wants so that my body doesn't think it doesn't need to create those feeds. But yeah, supply's still good. She's still feeding a lot. Awesome. So can you share more about Pearl's egg allergy and how you will reintroduce a certain food and like what age is good to do? Yeah, sure. So back step, Nick, my husband, and Poppy, my first child, were both allergic to egg whites for their first two years of their life. So I thought, okay, I'm going to introduce egg. It was a random Monday morning and I thought, oh, I'm going to be smug though because most people who are allergic to the egg white aren't allergic to the yolk. The egg white is way more of an allergen than the yolk because there's a protein in the egg white that's hyperallergenic, I guess you could say. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be smug. And I was having a fried egg. So I was like, I'm going to be smug and I'm just going to give her some of the yolk because she won't be allergic to the yolk. If she's allergic to anything, she'll be allergic to the whites. Anyway, give it to her straight away, full body hives, like all over her body. And did you panic? Shit. Well, I didn't panic because I'd gone through it already with Poppy and she was fine. And I just thought, I basically just cancelled the day. Like I was meant to be doing some work things that day. And I just said, no, I'm going to watch her all day. She can nap on me. Like I didn't even feel safe just leaving her in her cot. I thought, okay, you can just nap on me, nap next to me in the bed. Like I'm going to watch you all day so that if things get worse, I can take you to the hospital or whatever, but I wasn't too stressed. And, and, and I know that most likely there will come a time where she can eat it again. The thing that was a bummer is I guess if you've had a child that started solids and you're a family that eats eggs, eggs are like the easiest solids ever. And so I just thought, oh, it's such an easy, nutritious thing to give a bub when they're starting solids. So that was the bummer. And it was also the bummer that it was the first allergen I'd introduced. So I was like, I know I'm going to have an extra level of nerves when I introduce every allergen from then on. Anyway, watch this space. I actually have an appointment with an allergist tomorrow. Oh. And I'm really hoping that they turn around and say, try giving her yolk that's really cooked because the yolk I gave her was runny. And apparently if it's runny, it's more likely to cause an allergic reaction than if it's very cooked. So if you're starting solids out there, maybe start with very cooked Yeah, okay. because they're less likely to have a reaction to that. So I really hope she says, give that a try so that then I know I can continue giving that to her, but we'll see. Okay. I'll keep you updated what they say. And do you have any advice on food or meal prep while traveling with Pearl at this age? I do think that's the benefit of starting purees with baby lead weaning from the start and introducing allergens as early as you can so that you know what they can tolerate and what they can't. Because I do feel that when, I mean, we are going away and I think I'm just going to give her little bits here and there off my plate. If they've really recently just started, we went on a trip really recently after starting her on solids and she just had a couple of days not having solids Yeah, and it wasn't a big deal. Like I was just like, yeah, who cares? You've only just started. And so when we go away now, now that she has solids a lot, I'll probably buy some pouches and then just mainly feed her stuff off our plate. Yeah. And so with those pouches, if it says may contain traces of eggs, is that something that you have to look out for? I wouldn't think that the pouches would really have egg in it. Well, like a custard or something like that? I don't know. I'm not really a custard gal. Okay. Well, that's like nothing wrong with that. Like I don't, I I mean, I know you shouldn't yuck someone else's yum, but custard's nothing, not something I would reach for. So I just don't think I would ever, but yeah, I wouldn't give it to her currently. Yeah. So how is traveling with a baby and what do you think is the easiest age? 
The earlier, the better once you're out of diapers, I think, yeah. is the easiest. Age. No, obviously it depends what number child you're up to and how you're finding the whole experience. If it's your first child and it's taking some getting used to, which is totally normal, you still want to be in that slower pace postpartum period. Take as long as you need. But I think the easiest age to travel with a baby is when they're as young as possible. Even now... I have to entertain Pearl on a plane, you know, like yeah, I take a sensory toy and she jigs on my knee and whereas before she'd just sleep, feed, feed sleep, yeah. feed. So I think you've just got to weigh up the temperament of your child, your temperament and how you're finding that age bracket. But for sure the first year before they're on the move is definitely the easiest. And if you can get them used to a carrier, like if you have a bub that's not in a carrier much at home, my children have all like lived in carriers, so it hasn't been so much of an issue. But if you can get them used to a carrier before you go on a holiday, that means that you're going to be able to get the most out of your holiday because they can just nap on the go anywhere. And how do you manage breastfeeding and social alcohol? Do you have any tips on this one? Oh, that's a very personal one. And I would say to look into it yourself, but I have looked into a lot of the stats and research about the amount that actually gets into the breast milk. There is also an app, I think it's called FeedSafe, which is, I'm pretty sure from the Australian Breastfeeding Association that allows you to track feeds and track how much alcohol you have. But yeah, most of the time when I'm having drinks, it's like a glass of wine or two. So I'm like, if I can drive, I can breastfeed you. Such a minuscule amount is getting through, but I would leave that up to everyone to do their own research on it and be happy in their own decision. And I guess if you had like an occasion or event where you perhaps were going to drink more like at a wedding or a birthday, then you would probably maybe give her a formula bottle or something. Yeah. Well, we have a wedding coming up and you're going to get blotto. And I'm excited to, <laughs> to party. And I think that my parents are actually coming to where the wedding is to look after the kids while we're at the wedding. And obviously she's going to be having some bottles while I'm at the wedding. But I think that for that whole night, I'll just yeah. give her bottles and I'll just pump and throw away what I've pumped. And then by the next morning, I'll be fine. But that's not official advice. <laughs> Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> now, how is she sleeping? Do you have a sleep routine and have or will you do sleep training? Just a few questions. Okay. Well, I feel like the last time I touched base, she was three months and now she's six months and there has been a lot of different sleep patterns over that time. I don't know if it was the sleep regression. I don't know if it's a sleep progression, whatever you want to call it, but around three and a half months, Pearl's sleep turned to utter crap, like I thought I knew sleep deprivation before I had Pearl and I had no idea. Like I knew what tired was. I knew what waking up and being interrupted over the night was. I mean, I remember I sleep trained Poppy when she was six months old and she was waking twice a night. And I remember thinking, this is just not sustainable, which obviously for me at the time, it wasn't sustainable. But now I look back on that and laugh because if I got two wake ups a night, I would, I better run a marathon the next day. Like I I would be superhuman. So yeah, she's definitely been my hardest sleeper. She was such a contact napper, a cat napper. When people used to say, oh, how do you get your child not to contact nap? I used to just think, oh, you just lay them down in a bassinet and 
that's where they go. And now I get it. Now I get it. There's some babies that if you want them to nap longer than five minutes, it has to be Mm. on you. And I fully, I'm sorry if I didn't have the full empathy before, but I get it. You can't just lie them down because you can't get anything done. And it's such a bittersweet thing because you're lying there with them on top of you just going, I want to soak this all in. I know that this isn't forever. I really want to just take it all in. But you're also lying there going, I know the the piles of laundry that are down there. I know like I need to do some work or I just don't want to be touched for a second or I want to go play with my other children yeah. or I just want a second to myself. And, and it, you're so caught because you know they're where they need to be. But as I've said before, we're more than just a vessel for our babies and our kids and you, you're allowed to have your individual needs as well. And then I blink now and I don't, I don't know how it happened. I honestly think it's just with age. She now allows us to lie her down in her cot and that's where she has her naps and she has good naps. She's quite a good sleeper during the day now. And I wish I had a magic Mm. tip and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but the other day she woke up early from her nap. So I just like picked her up and rocked her and she fell back asleep on me and I soaked it in because it had been weeks since she'd had a contact nap on me. And I thought it's almost like I didn't notice when it changed from her sleeping on me because it was this kind of slow but kind of rapid transition and all of a sudden I went oh wait she hasn't done this for weeks and it and it's bittersweet because you just go oh it's been a while since she's I now can miss this yeah I know and it's always that grass is greener you want what you can't have what I would have given when she was you know four or so months old for her to lie down in her cot and nap for an hour what I would have given and now I'm like oh my gosh what I'd give to just cuddle you while you sleep but yeah so anyway her sleep came to a head when I went to Melbourne to see my family it had been shocking for a couple of months she'd probably been waking every hour to hour and a half I was somehow just kind of getting by and then I went to Melbourne and Nick wasn't there, so he couldn't help me overnight. And it got to the stage where it got dark then. It got to the stage (laughs) where she was waking up every 20 to 40 minutes. And I was so anxious overnight that she wasn't sleeping long enough for me, for it to Mm. even feel worth me falling Mm. asleep because I was just saying to myself, if I fall asleep, I'm going to be groggier than if I just stayed awake. And there was these nights on end where I cannot even, I felt like you blink and you wake up and you blink and you wake up. And we tried co-sleeping because I was like, I'm willing to give anything a go for this. And like, I'm just not someone who can have a baby breastfeeding off me all night. I've I've said before, like, I'm not a particularly affectionate person. I just can't do that. But we tried co-sleeping. It didn't make things any better. And then once I got home from Melbourne, Nick had been away and he knew that I was a bit of a shell by the time I came back and that I was like, this is not this isn't working. This isn't sustainable. I'm so happy with my child waking up overnight, but every 20 to 40 minutes is just not, this isn't working because I still need to get up and parent two other children and work and be a functioning member of society. And we came home and we actually put her in a cot in the room next to ours and she started sleeping three hours at a time. And I don't know if it was a combination of age, the cot, her eating more, maybe me not hearing each and every single noise she made, maybe her not being able to smell me. And 
it was honestly so amazing. And that's kind of where we still are now. So is it more like a routine where you put her in at a certain time and then she consistently now knows this is where she goes? Or is it like... I don't know. I honestly don't know (laughs) what it was. And I feel like so much of baby sleep is trial and error. And I was... Look, I sleep trained my other two and there's just something about this time, like I can't listen to her cry. If she cries in the car, it does something to Nick and I, like it doesn't feel like a postnatal anxiety thing. Like it doesn't make me anxious. I just, I don't know if it's because I know that she's my last and I know that it's a season. I just, I don't feel ready or wanting to sleep train her at this point. And that's never say never, but I'm honestly finding it absolutely fine. Her sleeping three hours at a time. I think maybe because I experienced what waking up every 20 to 40 minutes was for nights on end. And I, and I don't know what the change was. If she wakes up before three to four hours, I send Nick in and he like rocks her or butt taps her and she goes back to sleep. But if it's been three hours, I just get up and feed her and yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. And it's so funny because I'll often call my mum in the morning and she'll be like, how was your night? And I'll be like, oh my God, it was so amazing. And she's like, oh, like, what was it like? And I'll be like, I only woke up like three or four times overnight. And my mum just laughs at me because she gets it. She's in comparison. It's amazing. But most people would probably not be happy waking up three or four times a night. And can you put her down awake? Only because she has a dummy. Okay. So I generally put her down awake. She had, you know, I turn on her music. I put her sleep suit on. And look, this has only been a recent thing. Like when she was four, even five months, if you had have said to me, oh, you know how there's that whole term, put them down drowsy but awake, (laughs) I would have just said, that's not an option. Yeah. Like she either has to be fast asleep or she's sleeping on me. There's no putting her down in her cot awake. But I think it's just an age thing. She now, I can put her down as long as she's got her sleep suit on, her dummy in. Sometimes I give her butt a bit of a tap. Sometimes I walk out and have to come back in. But, yeah, that's where we're up to. But I just think it goes to show that all bubs and their sleep is so different. Like she's just so vastly different Mm. to my other two that we've had to really think about it and really celebrate the small wins because if we weren't celebrating the small wins, it would be pretty bleak. (laughs) (laughs) How do you play with Pearl? Like, does she play with toys? Are you on the floor? Does she have like a little mobile? I would say play with babies is a real weak spot of mine. Mm. I get really like, I don't know. You don't like the play? I just don't know what to do with them. Like they don't do a lot back. Like I I quite like. Like do you read books with her? No, I like I, I give her things to play with. She's got some toys that she lays on her mat and play. It's great. She's just started sitting. So I feel like because she's used to so much happening around her all the time, she gets bored very easily. Yeah. So when she was still laying down, you could tell she wanted to be sitting and watching what was going on. So she's definitely happier now that she can sit up and play with a toy that way. And most of the time I can sit her in the high chair and she just watches the yeah. chaos unfold around her and that keeps her pretty happy. And also now that she has solids, that's kind of like a task and... And yeah, that she's also got two older sisters who can play with her. So I know, but when they're at daycare, I get a little bit like, oh, what do I do with you now? (laughs) Seriously, because she's so used to, they love playing with her. And they, you know, and I love interacting with her and chatting to her and cooing and ooing. And she loves putting things over her face and then pulling them down. Like she thinks it's really fun. Like she plays peekaboo and thinks that's hilarious. 
But like, I don't I've, think I've ever heard your baby voice. Can you give us? Oh my god! Oh, I want to hear what you sound like when you coo and <laughs> ooh. Give us a coo and ooh that you would do to her. I'm so embarrassed. Oh, you have to. I'd rather talk about the ins and outs I of know. my pelvic floor than do. I my... know. I want to hear it. Pearl's here. She's got a little toy. Hello, my little Pearly. Hello, Pearly girly. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, on a serious note, how are you doing? And like, do you have any self care happening at the moment? Yeah. What are you? Where are you? Yeah. I went through a stage around that four to five month mark where I felt wrecked, absolutely wrecked. Obviously, the sleep was in a pretty dire state. Work was picking up, which was amazing, but I hadn't set any more boundaries around that. I just, I just felt, I just felt really defeated in the way I think that, as I've said before, I had two babies that were like fine sleepers. And so I thought third time round, I think you can be really harsh on yourself that you should just know what to do. And I felt like a real failure because the sleep was becoming so all-consuming and it was all I could think about during the day. It was all I could think about when I was getting ready, ready for night time. And I honestly got to the point where I, I couldn't really hold a conversation with anyone because the first thing that anyone would ever ask would be around sleep mm. and then I'd be thinking, oh, but I don't really want to talk about sleep, but what on earth else do I have to talk about because it's all my brain thinks about and yeah, that was in hindsight, a pretty rough stage. And I just felt like I was kind of failing at everything. I was dropping the ball a lot with work. It, it was the one point that I got to where I didn't really feel like I had energy to play with the older two. It was when Goldie's real parental preference for Nick had begun. And so I felt like I would muster up all this energy to give to them and it kind of felt like it was being thrown back in my face. For example, when I was pregnant because I had hyperemesis, Nick did a lot of bedtimes and, and did a lot of the parenting and then obviously over the past six months he's done a lot of the parenting of the older two while I've, you know, settled with a newborn. And now I'm really trying to I guess, assimilate our lives back together because we can't just be this divide and conquer for all of time. Like I want to be back sometimes putting the older kids to bed and, and playing with them and, and giving for them. And, and I think I need to remember that she's a child that's gotten so used to that being the way things are. But when you're tired and you feel like you've given your all all day and you're like, oh, I'm so excited to just lay down with them and for them to drift off to sleep next to me. And she literally turns to me and says things like, mom, it's fine. You can just go into your back into your room now. Oh, yeah. And you just feel this like dagger through your heart and it just made me question like was I too absent could I have been there more when I had hyperemesis I know the answer is no but it just made me think was there other things that I should have offloaded so that I could give more to Goldie and I think parental preference isn't something that's discussed a lot and I feel like when it is it's so often discussed as oh my god you know if there's a mum and a dad in the family oh my gosh my kids only want me and they never want their dad 
And so I kind of felt, I was like, well, what have I done wrong that mm. all she ever wants is her dad? Like where, like she's meant to, if, if she has a preference, it's meant to be towards me. Like I grew her and I fed her and, and yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking. Do you think though, because you're both like 50-50 parents? Totally. And that's what I need to remember is he parents as much as I parents. So really like and and Poppy definitely has a parental preference towards me. It's just she's not as vocal and flapped by it. Whereas No, if, she has a parental preference to Timmy, but anyway, go yeah, on. Yeah, but he doesn't live with us, so that's <laughs> fine. Um but yeah, she has a parental preference towards me, and that's what I sometimes try and remind myself. I'm like, there's one that loves you. <laughs> but it's just less obvious because she's happy for either yeah. of us to put her to bed. She doesn't mind who come who's there in the morning. Whereas if Nick's at the gym when Goldie wakes up, she will like sometimes scream in my face, I want daddy, oh I don't God. want you. And so it's hard. Like she's really vocal with it. And on the upside, like you hear that, like for someone that has three parental preferences to me it's like when you hear that you're like oh what I give to have that but totally. I absolutely hearing you sit here and hearing you say it's actually quite a really sad feeling when yeah. your child doesn't want you like of course every now and again if they want Nick to put them to bed I'm oh, like yeah ooh, high yeah. five that's great but it's just when it's night in night out and then that's all she wants. Yeah. Like he's not, if he has something to do, he's not allowed to leave the room. Like he can't, she screams. And anyway, so we've started, and I think it's also been jarring because there was no real signs of jealousy when Pearl was first born. Mm. And I feel like you get ready for, okay, there's going to be this transition and it's going to be really hard on the kids and it's going to be so hard to divide our time. And I feel like that zero to three months was as smooth as we could have possibly hoped. Of course, they're jealous every now and again. Of course, they want you to hold them when you're breastfeeding, whatever, every now and again. But it was really as smooth as you could possibly expect. So I think it was jarring when at four, five, six-ish months, the jealousy has more set in and you're having to be way more conscious about it when you thought you were in the clear, I guess. Yeah. And how's the jealousy between the girls? Towards each other. Yeah. They're fine. They're fine. And I think it's so great that they have one another and they can, you know, they, they, they're just so different yeah. and the way they show their emotions are so, so different. And they're both obsessed with her. It's so funny because it's almost like the jealousy isn't even directed at Pearl. Yeah. Like it's like Goldie has no hard feelings towards Pearl. It's the hard feelings towards us yeah. as the parents. And another example is the other day I picked up the girls from daycare and I got home and Goldie was expecting Nick to be home when she got home. And he, she said, where's dad? And I said, oh, he's at the supermarket with Pearl. And she broke down. She was heartbroken. It was like Nick had chosen Pearl over her and it had like it had been this, you know, thought out plan that he would rather take Pearl to the supermarket than her. And she was devastated. And I had to say to her, it's he doesn't love Pearl more than you. He loves you all the same. He didn't take he didn't not take you because he didn't want to. You just weren't here. So it's that real. I don't know, it, it does get in the way of your parenting as well because I sometimes think, oh, is this a battle? Like I feel like I'm trying to get 
back in there and be loved by her. So sometimes I let things go that maybe she should be pulled up on because I think, well, can't Nick tell her off for that so yeah. that he gets a few black strokes to his name rather than me being disliked by her and then also being the disciplinary person. And I think because he's not as tired, like he's the fun parent and I don't know, it's all these things and it makes you start questioning your parenting. So I would say honestly recently, now that sleep is ever so slightly better, it's it's that that's been the hardest thing to deal with. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I find that happening with Harry a lot and we just put it down to the fact that we've got three girls and maybe he's a boy. I don't know why yeah. that, but that's what we thought. And he does make a huge effort. Like he's probably more, you know, like hands-on with them than me at the moment just yeah. because we're working. And he, he feels defeated sometimes. He's like, I just don't know like why you all have to cry when I drop you off or when I'm picking you up from school why you're always crying because it's not mum like it's just yeah it's always like like what difference does Maybe it make Harry and I can get together yeah I mean I look obviously it's less heartbreaking for me because I'm Poppy's preference like it would be really hard if it was all three towards one parent mm. because number one that's super hard on you because you're everyone's everything well it's two out of three and then Yumi loves dad so yeah. Yumi doesn't mind yeah. at all but it's just those two girls and perhaps because they were 16 months apart and they've always had me when I was yeah. raising them I know but it makes me also think like am I working too much because Nick has taken another step back from work so that I can take a step up and it gets me thinking like I'm like is this only going to get worse because I'm going to be working more but do you think it's more like you like because obviously they're fine they're completely happy I know. They've got and when she's not there she is obsessed yeah. with me maybe so I should have said that like, earlier because people are probably listening like I, I don't know like we went on a one-on-one date the other day cute and she loved it we loved it we had a great time she never she didn't mention him the whole time she was there so, yeah, but it just, I just think because often when it is presented, it's definitely that preference towards mums and it does make you think yeah. that it's just, but anyway, I've had heaps of DMs saying, oh my gosh, my kids are the same with my husband or partner or whatever too. And often they say it's really hard watching them come home from work and be the yeah. fun parent because they have the energy to parent and they're not the ones nagging on their kids all day. So sometimes I think that sometimes it's the one that spends the most time with them and sometimes it's the one that spends the least time mm. with them based on whether they want the fun person or like the safe consistent person so anyway if you're going through it you're not alone because it's just it's just a new aspect of of parenting that we're kind of feeling our way through and it's hard because you have to remind yourself oh I'm the adult like don't get offended and I try and turn around to her as much as possible and I say you know no matter what you say to me I'm, I will always love you and I'll always be here for you because I think that when I when she knows I'm offended by it sometimes it just fuels her fire to say it again. I found out that the reason the girls like me to pick them up is because I give them snacks whereas Harry Oh doesn't. easy fix. See? Harry take snacks yeah. come on that's god I, I've been using snacks for ages trying to get Goldie across the line <laughs> <laughs> and how are you feeling about your body postpartum? Oh, it depends on the day. Yeah. Depends on the day. Depends on what I'm wanting to wear. Depends on the season. The mood. The mood. <laughs> Look, in general, good. In general, I would say I'm a pretty 
body confident and confident person. Obviously, I am so proud of what my body has achieved. I obviously have the privilege of being a, like a naturally straight sized person. So finding clothes and stuff isn't hard. And I guess maybe in the eyes of other people, they would think I've bounced back somewhat. So it would be easy to love your body. If you, does that make sense? Like, but my body isn't what it was before I had kids. And it's definitely not even what it was after having Goldie, my second, like it, I definitely found that the third pregnancy has been hard on my body. I have more stretch marks now than I've ever had. And they actually all showed up after I had Mm. Pearl. Like I kind of thought, oh, I don't have any stretch marks while I was pregnant. And then it was kind of as it all deflated back down that I've got them. And to be honest, I wasn't getting back into low rise anytime soon anyway. So it doesn't affect me that much. I, I think the biggest thing for me is not my body, it's clothes. And when I go, look, sell that pair of pants. You don't ever need to fit back into them. Sell them mm-hmm. and replace them with a pair of pants that fit you now. That even it's not even the fit thing. It's the like it's it's not just your your, your dress size that changes. It's like the way your hips sit, mm. the way your waist mm. is, the way your boobs look. Like you change more so than just your weight. So it might be that I can get an old pair of pants on me, but I just don't like the way they look on me anymore. So I've just been this time, I'm like, stop holding on to things because you think you're going to fit back into them one day. Cool if you do, cool if you don't. Sell them on and replace them with things that look good, feel good, fit your body now, yeah. and are things that you want to wear in this season of your life. You know, the thing for me is like, and I never had this before kids, but definitely after three, I dress purely for comfort. Obviously, I'd like to look good, right? Like obviously, but I go a size up because I feel better about it around my waist. And Mm. I have a lot of excess stomach flab. I have a lot of excess bloating and I haven't been able to get rid of that postpartum at all. And we're now on four and a half years and I've just created a different way of dressing. So it's oversized shirts and it's really comfy pants. And then just, I don't know, it's restructuring how I, like I used to always wear tighter pants and it was a completely different way of dressing myself, but I feel so much more comfortable because if I was dressing the way that I used to dress, I would be so self- insecure and I would not be comfortable one Mm. bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just, uh, you know, I've said this so many times before on the podcast, but we we save up to buy all these new things for our bub and we just forget about ourselves. Mm. And I just think literally the power of a comfy pair of pants that you think look good on you, whatever that means for you, it's invaluable. It's truly invaluable. And I just, uh, yeah, I've just gone back to, I think I just have enough decisions to make in my life, in in each day. So I feel like somewhat having a uniform that then you have fun around. So I've kind of got, okay, I've got a few pairs of pants. I've got a few t-shirts that I love the fit. I love the feel. 
I love the way they look. And I'm like, cool, I know I can grab that pair of jeans and that T-shirt and they look good together. And then I have a few fun jackets that I wear over the top that spice it up a bit or a few pairs of shoes Mm. that I swap out based on what activity is. So I don't get bored because every outfit is different, but you're actually rotating. I mean, I guess this is what they call capsule, but mine's not all necessarily neutrals Mm. and stuff like this. But it means that you have the fun of playing around with things, but the core of it you know is comfy and you Mm. like how it looks on you. Mm. And I just think that takes away one decision or one wardrobe tent because there's nothing worse than a fucking wardrobe tantrum. They are when that can be the make or break of my entire day is a wardrobe tantrum. Yeah, they're hideous. And I'm literally in there going, I've got nothing to wear. And Nick's (laughs) like, you have an overflowing wardrobe. What are you talking about? I'm like, but there's nothing to actually wear. Now, what outsource support has been the most worth it for you? Like, was it the cleaner babysitter what do you really think has helped in this season I think nanny gets a really bad rap and it's seen as the second someone has a nanny it means they don't parent and that's just utter bullshit but really early on we decided that we would get a nanny it's funny I call her a nanny it took me forever to call her a nanny because she's been our babysitter for years and then once she started doing one day consistently I thought Well, I guess that's technically what a nanny is, isn't it? But I was still calling her our babysitter. Anyway, she comes one day a week. It's the day I record. We decided to bring her on early. It was all Nick's idea. I was kind of like, no, if I have a nanny one day, that means that I'm handing over care. It means I'm not enough. It means I, you know, couldn't do it all. And he was just like, just... Hmm. calm your farm. It's going to be okay. And anyway, she comes one day a week. Generally we record at my house so I can still breastfeed her for all her feeds. It just means that I know that when she's awake, someone else is giving her the full attention. It means that for that day, I don't care how long she's napping for. I don't care how long it takes to get her down for that nap. You know, I feel like sometimes when you're trying to work around their nap schedule, you're in there padding to sleep with a clenched jaw going, I need you to go to sleep because I have to jump on this call in 15 minutes. And if you're not asleep, like all hell is going to break loose and they sense it. And so that has been the biggest saviour for us. And it means that instead of me giving Pearl to Nick to mind for that day, it means that he also knows that he has that one day where he can smash out stuff too rather than us constantly handballing her back and forward. So I would say that has been our best investment this postpartum and doing it somewhat early so we weren't at breaking point by the time we brought her on. And I will admit that Pearl bloody loves her nanny. She (laughs) rarely gets put down. When she is getting put down, she's getting cooed at. She's having the time of her life. Whenever we come out for a break, that girl is laughing and smiling and it is really they nice. love one another. Yeah, they, they do. They've got a really another. good bond. And yeah. oh my gosh, how how nice to know that you've got an extra pair of hands and a beautiful extra bond that mm. she has. Yeah, and it makes me feel really good because we don't have family around. It makes me feel good knowing that she's got someone that she's been comfortable with from the start that's not us. So when we start doing date nights again or whatever. She's going to have a babysitter that she's so comfortable with and the babysitter is going to know how to read her cues, know what she wants, knows her temperament. And I think that's a big thing, especially when you're leaving a babysitter with three children. If they don't know anything about (laughs) any of them, you're just kind of like, fuck, best of luck. But But at least she will know her temperament. So I would say that. 
What do you think has been the hardest transition, zero to one kid, one to two or two to three kids? Well, we touched on this in the zero to three one and... We get this question a lot. I though. know, and but it's hard because the, just like the age gap thing, there's been good and bad to all of them. Zero to one, your entire world changes. You question everything. That was my biggest adjustment, obviously, in terms of learning, in terms of life change. But I wouldn't say that was my hardest Mm. adjustment. One to two, I still think I would say was the hardest adjustment. And I think that's because you've had one child. So you think you know what having a child is. And then all of a sudden your second child is nothing like your first child. And you're thinking, wait, I thought I had this down pat, (laughs) but now I'm not quite sure. But I do think you have an extra self-confidence that you never had with your first. And I think because of the close age gap, it would just go from under control to pure chaos so fast. And I feel like I had to... When I had one, I felt like I could find time for myself because it was like, here, look after our one child while I go and do this and this. But all of a sudden with two, it just felt like so much more of a juggle and like a conscious planning. And it was definitely, I would say, the hardest transition on our relationship. And what about two to three? Two to three, I think you already know every child's different. So you're Mm. buckling up for whatever this child is. So you've got that. You've got all the confidence of the other children in the past. So I I would still say that one to two was the hardest. Having a third is definitely not just throwing another one on the pile. It is 1,000% an entire another child. And I would say the hardest part of three is it's so rare that everyone's well. Mm. And I know we've just been going through winter, so that might be why, but it is just so rare that you wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, no noses are running. Obviously, that's the age of my kids too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they're five and a half, three and a half, and six months old. Like when Pearl actually has the ability to breathe through her nose, she must think the world <laughs> is so full of sense. Like <laughs> because she has spent more of her life with a green, snotty, blocked nose than she has without it. Like she must get overwhelmed by smells when she has a clear nose. And I think that's something we've learned is we can't schedule things to be operating on the edge of functioning. Do you know what I mean? We can't Mm. be working on best case scenario. So I think that's what we were doing for a while where it was, okay, I'm working these days, you're working those days. So that means that that day you have her, that means that that day you're doing day, because this is how Nick and I function as a couple, like we we shared a load on things. And so we were going, okay, I'm going to get this, this and this done Monday. So you're going to have Pearl for the morning. I'll have Pearl for the afternoon. We've got our nanny on Tuesday. So we'll do that. Yep, that's fine. And then I've got Wednesday nap time I'll just squeeze this in because that's the perfect scenario of a week and that just never happens Mm -mm. because someone's home from daycare sick or Pearl has a fucking allergic reaction to egg or someone has giardia you know like (laughs) it's just it it, it, the, the week never actually realistically goes like that so we've had to actually roster in like buffer time into our week so that when Monday is a write-off it's okay, you've, you've allocated some extra time on a Thursday afternoon or something. 
But it's really getting your head around it. it. Like it is getting your head around it. And I remember because Harry was working at this, ta- this time and I wasn't, I immediately after like two weeks had three kids on my own. Like it was just constant yeah. chaos. And for me, I know this isn't about me, but like in terms of having like those transitions, the two to three on one parent is absolutely ludicrous. You just cannot mentally wrap your head around it. We've actually just started implementing a new way of thinking when one of us has the kids on our own. So we haven't got around to like fully doing it, but this is like our plan. And Nick actually got this idea from another podcast he listened to. And how dare he? It is a menu of what you can do based on what kids you have. So how the menu goes is, because I think the thing that we've had to come to terms with, and we've said this before, is we can't afford for all of our self-care to be done outside of the children because it's just not sustainable. Like we have too many kids now for the only time for our cups to be full is when we're kidless because it would mean that we would have no time as a family of five because it would mean any time you know, we'd just be constantly mm. handballing the kids back and forth. So what we've been doing is coming up with these menus. So like what are fun activities that we can do when it's the five of us together? So that might be go for a bike ride, you know, like we have yeah, the yeah. means for all of us to be somewhere mm-hmm. on one of mm-hmm. the bikes so we can go for a bike ride. We can take the double pram to this place. We can do this. We can do that. Okay. What can one parent do when they have all three kids? Okay, so we've got the double pram so they can take them down the street, go get a juice. They can take them over to the park. And it sounds so simple, Mm. but I feel like when you're in the overwhelm of having them all on your own, it can be so hard to go, oh, my God, I need to get out of the house with you, but what on earth am I going to do with Mm. you? So to have it written there and have it thought out, is just you go, okay, you guys are doing my head in inside. You're ruining everything. You're fighting with one another. Go to the menu. What's an activity that I can do that's going to fill my cup, that's going to fill your cup, that's going to get us all out of the house? And we're the kind of parents that I find getting out of the house is more relaxing than being at home most of the time. And I've just found this like an easier way to look at things like, okay, I've got the two older kids. What are some things I can do with them that's going to be fun for all of us that maybe I couldn't have done if we had Pearl with us? Okay, let's do that now because I've got the freedom of not having Pearl with me. And there's just, it just almost takes it off the mental load by having it written there because you're not actually coming up with activities. You're just reading the activity. Mm. So that made it feel more manageable for me. I don't know if that will be relatable for others yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Well, it's just I think it depends on the age gap. Yeah. If you have to take them to school, then that's not the option. Like because yeah. logistically you're like, I'm trying to get those kids in the oh, car. Oh, totally. No, but I mean, I mean age, when it's free time and you're like, I don't want, like it's been really helpful for Nick because Nick, has to be doing yes like he he gets really titchy if he's been at home with the kids all day oh fair enough but he loves like I'll message him and I'll be like oh what are you doing with the three kids and he's like oh we've all gone for a bike ride and like (laughs) to some people it would be like oh my god you need so much energy to do that but that actually takes him less energy than being at home with the kids and so just having those things there that you can just so easily go to has really helped rather than it being this daunting like oh God, okay, I've got the next eight hours in front of me with all three kids. Yeah. What is the car seat situation with three young kids? 
So we were very lucky that we had a large car already. So we didn't have to get a new car or move to a minivan or anything when we had three. So we have a Land Cruiser, which is just, I mean, that is a freaking wide car and we are chocked in there. So I don't know how you could go any smaller. But, yeah, we have Goldie on the passenger seat side. Yeah. Because that's the side that's on the footpath. So when I get out, I know she's not going to like run onto the road. I've got Pearl behind the driver's seat because she can't run yet. So I know that I have to physically get (laughs) her out of the car and she's not going to run away. And it means that if Nick and I are in the car together, it's much easier for me to, if I'm in the passenger seat, to reach over and give her a dummy. And then Poppy is in the middle because she's five and a half. So she can click and unclick herself. Yeah. So I'm not constantly like, turning around and everything and it also means that when she's in the mood she can help with Pearl yeah so that's our situation we did toss up putting Poppy's seat in the very back just to create a bit more space and I'm so glad we didn't because that relies on one way too much of her cooperation oh yeah even though I said she unclicks and clicks herself like I can still turn around where she is now and click her in without climbing through the car and because we've had a baby in Pearl that does not like the car, it's been so helpful having her there just being like, hey, can you pop her dummy back in? Hey, yeah. can you just smile at her for a second so she knows that she's yeah. not just on her own going backwards somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> so you're leaving the house with three kids. What are your must-have essentials? So I am very simplistic when it comes to a nappy bag. I feel like I have minimised that thing down to within an inch of its life over the years. When I had Poppy, I used to head out with the kitchen sink in a bulky backpack, you know, like have everything just in case. If a nappy rash starts, I've got the pseudo cream. <laughs> if my nipples get sore, I've got the nipple balm. If someone has a fever, I've got the Panadol. You got the nail now I have nothing for just in case. It's what am I going to actually need? And if just in cases arise while I'm out, well, I'll deal with that while I'm there because I'm someone who I want to know that if I want to leave the house, at least the part that relies on me needs to be as quick as possible. I've got enough time that gets wasted by kids putting shoes on the wrong feet (laughs) and dragging me down that way that my part needs to be as quick as possible. So literally I leave the house with some nappies, wipes, a spare outfit and a spare dummy. Simple yet effective. Yeah. I don't take change mats. People will be like, ew, that's gross. I don't think I ever had a change mat. If we're out and about and they need to get change and there's only grass there, I put her in the boot of my car. There's generally a towel hanging around somewhere. I don't take diaper bag things. I just throw it in the bin. Sorry, but just a waste of space. And yeah, that's what I leave the house with. So someone has said, I already have my hands full with two kids and I'm on the fence about having a third. How do you decide to have a third child? Well, I didn't decide. I accidentally got pregnant. That was a whoopsie. It was a whoopsie, but we were always planning on having one. I just think if you feel like your hands are full already and your world is full, can you wait a bit? Mm. If your first two are two years apart, your second two don't have to be two years apart. I mean, I don't know how old this person is. I don't know how what their AMH levels are, you know. But I just think can you wait a sec till you feel like there's somewhat breathing room? One thing I found really confronting is I've always wanted three or more children. And I remember when I had Goldie as my second and I thought, I don't feel done. I want another child. 
but there is not one inch of my life that I can imagine another child being in. Mm. And that was really jarring for me because I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to have to just stop it too because I have no other option because I don't know where the third one fits. And it's not until she was two and I felt like I had like ever so slight space that I went, oh, I'm not ready yet, but I can see where the third child fits in. So I think just well, wait a little space. bit and just see if you can start to envisage where that child mm. would fit into things. And have a conversation with your partner because that does help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having you both on board yeah. definitely helps. Um, are there things now that you wish you had have known with Poppy and Goldie? I think that's unfortunately just the beauty of parenthood. Like yeah. you can't. <laughs> you can only know what you know at the time. And that's why, you know, first time mums say to me, oh my God, I don't know how you have three children. And I say, neither. Yeah. (laughs) And when I was a first time mum, I could not have imagined what three kids would be like because you're getting used to being a mum for the first time and that that is all consuming yeah. and everything is new and and there's a reason that is that way and of course it would be easier if I could go back and do it with the knowledge I have now like Nick and I laugh already we're only 6 months in and if we have the freedom of just having two kids with us we think well, a oh my gosh This is so, I remember I I went out for breakfast the other morning with just Goldie and Pearl and two people said to me, oh, you've got your hands full. And I turned around and said, no, I don't. This is only two thirds of them. (laughs) This isn't full. This is easy. But six months ago, having two on my own felt full and felt like a lot. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And so you can only know what you Mm. have now. So I think that's fine. And how is your relationship at the moment? Are you finding time together? Where are we at with a six-month-old? Yeah, I think we are now starting to, I think when we were in the utter trenches of sleep, we just didn't put that pressure on ourselves. And I think, you know, you might be at the six-month mark, but the sleep is still diabolical. Mm. So just do not put that pressure on yourself because, like sleep is such a fundamental priority. It's only natural that you can't think of anything else. So now that her sleep is a bit more predictable, I guess, we know where there's space in our life for one another. But as we said on the three-month one, we prioritized time for ourselves. So like my time for me, Nick's time for him, we knew we weren't going to have the ability to prioritize us as a couple, us with our kids, us on our own. That's just a choice we made. And for other people, they may prioritize themselves as a couple more so than themselves as an individual. But I feel like we're just slowly starting to be like, I don't think we've had a date night still. And that's fine. But like this morning we woke up, no one else was awake yet. We rolled over, you know, whereas a couple of months ago, there's no way we would have been awake unless we'd been woken by someone. And sometimes, you know, we put the kids to bed at night and I think, oh, I don't feel like I need to be asleep this second to make up for the fact that I'm going to get woken up in 30 minutes time. You know, I'm like, okay, I know that if I go, you you know, I might feed her at nine and then I'll go to sleep rather than it's 6.30, she's asleep, I have to be asleep to survive. So yeah. I feel like we're starting to carve out those little good. bits of time. Good. Does, That's good for you. That is good for you, doll. Does any part of you want a fourth? Yes, but I'm not going to have one. Yeah. Now that we've got to six months and I feel like I can breathe again, 
I do think, oh, like I, I can imagine how there would be space for a fourth in my life, mm. but I cannot do pregnancy again. And I, and I know I'm realistic with myself that I know if I got pregnant a fourth time, it's going to be even worse than the third time yeah. because each time it's got harder physically, mentally, emotionally, mum guilt, juggle, everything. Yeah. And so I know that is only going to be a step further in the hard direction. I think three for us is on the brink of beautiful chaos before you just tip into unmanageable chaos for us. I think for four for us, it's a whole new car. It's I don't know. I really think that with four, our entire life would have to change. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like three, as I said, is on that cusp of being able to enjoy moments while it's still being hard. Whereas yeah. I think four for me would be not enjoying a yeah. lot of it. I said to Harry the other day, I said, oh, um, hey, babe, like in 10 years time, like what would you think about getting like a surrogate? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, like someone could carry our child. And he's like, babe, it's not the pregnancy that's the problem. It's the yeah, amount of kids, kids that we have. Yeah. And I'm like, no, the pregnancy is the problem as well. And he's like, okay, well, that's that's the answer. But there has been this real mental shift for me now that I've decided I don't need to worry about conception, pregnancy, birth ever again. It's almost like it's freed up this energy and I don't know if passion's the right word, but it's made me more excited about raising kids. It's like it's freed up this little section in my brain that's like, no, I'm going to like try my hardest to parent these kids to the best of my abilities when I can, yeah. <laughs> when I've got it in me, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not thinking about having to go through pregnancy again. I'm not thinking about birthing again. None of that. It's like, let's move on to this stage of our life that is all about child raising rather than child breeding. Love that. Yeah. And I didn't think that like the thought of conception had been taking up any space, but now that the thought's out... You've got a lot more space. I, it's freed up space to go, oh, how do I actually want to parent these kids? That's great. Yeah. We're going to end our last question. And oh, it, last one. It's not a question. It's a comment. Pearl has such a beautifully shaped head. <laughs> if I'm allowed to say. Yes. My kids have all had beautifully shaped heads <laughs> to the point that, so obviously when you go through childbirth, in that immediate after childbirth, you can often tell by their head if they were a vaginal birth versus a cesarean because of the whether shape. they're stuck in the canal. Yeah. And when I first sent through a picture of Poppy's head to my family, my dad automatically assumed I'd had a C-section because her head was perfectly round, but it was actually because she rocketed out that fast that there was no time for any molding. So anyway, all three of them have had very quick pushing stages, so they don't have much molding of their head. But it's funny you bring up the head because Pearl, classic third child, she had her four-month immunizations last week when she was six months old. She hadn't been well enough at any time that we'd booked an appointment to actually get her immunizations done. So they were done two months late. So it means that she'll be eight months old when she's getting her six-month <laughs> immunizations. Anyway, they measured her head and it is off the chart. It has jumped up 
multiple percentiles and poppies did the same thing and we actually went in brains that's what nick likes to say because they inherited it from him i like to say a lot of room for air (laughs) Um, (laughs) um but poppy we had to see a pediatrician with because her head was off the scale but the pediatrician just took one look at nick and said it's genetics. It's clearly because of you. So luckily this time the GP said, look, I'm happy to watch and wait. We'll measure it again when she comes in next time and make sure that it's not further increasing. But oh my goodness, this graph, it was such a jump up off the scale. What happens if they have a large head? Like what are they looking at? Well, you can get a thing called hydrocephalus, which is where there's like fluid on the brain and and some other conditions that cause, I guess, a head that jumps up percentiles like without their body growing at the same time or more so just you know the charts you're meant to grow at a certain like trajectory and hers has jumped up from that so like often if you're born with a head on the 75th percentile it will continue to grow Uh, but it will grow somewhat along that same percentile whereas hers is now well above the 99th percentile and so but I guess the fact that she is reaching all her developmental milestones at a quote unquote normal time. They're not concerned that there's anything else going on. Whereas if she was showing other signs, they would look into it further. Yeah. So, but thank you. She's got a beautifully shaped head and a very, very large one. When she sat for the first time, I actually looked at her and thought, that looks wrong because you are so top heavy. Yeah, how are you, <laughs> you holding that up? You should just be going. <laughs> <laughs> but she can't fit a baby beanie. She needs a kid's beanie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's easy. You don't have to go and buy yeah. kids' beanies. It's so funny. My sister-in-law has the smallest head you've ever seen and she gets hand-me-downs of my kids' hats and she can fit their sunglasses. <laughs> oh, my God. Because my kids' heads are so big and hers is so small. She has to get hat filler. So, anyway, that's that's <laughs> that's where we're going to leave it. Shout out to Tilly and her pinhead. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this information with us today. My pleasure. I hope it answered all the questions. I hope people got something out of it. I loved yeah. it. It's funny talking about yourself and your child for an entire hour, but there you go. We've done it. That's the job. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.